Well, good morning. We, uh, today, as our kids make their way out, we make our way back into uh, the second week of a four-week sermon series we're simply calling To Know Jesus and Make Him Known. So if you look at the wall, you see the mission statement really big on the banner. And the, the point of these four weeks is to take the mission statement off of the wall and get it back into our hearts and hands. And this is true of anything you have, uh, core values, mission statement, vision, all those things that, that kind of we like to create often end up in a plaque on the wall and we don't live them. And so this is our sort of four-week attempt to get them back into our being. Uh, last week you heard uh, Rob Green, one of our elders, kind of expertly show what does it mean to know Jesus? Like what's step one in that? And what's the difference between being a fan or family with uh, the Lord? And so this week we're going to kind of double click on that and go, okay, once you're in a relationship with somebody, how do you grow that? And then next week, we'll begin talking about the second part of the mission statement, to make him known. What is the heartbeat behind that? How do we cultivate that heart? And then in the final week, we'll say, okay, now that I have the desire to make him known, how do I practically do that? Give me some strategies and some actual practical help. And so that's kind of where we're going to give you the roadmap. Uh, What we, uh, like I said, what we're talking about today is how do we grow in relationship with God? How do we, once we say, you know what, I'm willing to follow Jesus, well, then what? And so what we're going to do is look at a prayer uh, that Jesus prayed in really the moments before he was arrested to be crucified. And so it's kind of one of those uh, high points of his life, the, the kind of last moments before the last moments. What he's going to show us is why holiness matters. And then what we're going to look at is really how do we respond to uh, holiness in a proposal that he has given us unlike any other. And so what we're going to do is just get started in John chapter 17. We'll put it up on the screen so you can read it along. And this is picking up in verse 6 of what is often termed Jesus' high priestly prayer. In the first five verses, he prays, uh, it's kind of between him and the Father, and it's more uh, Jesus-focused. And then in verse 6, he pivots, and he begins to pray for his followers, for his disciples. And I'll tell you, we won't read it, but verse 20 says, this actually applies to anybody who is my follower or becomes my follower. So this all applies not only to the disciples who are with him, uh, but to all of us. And so let's read together. Jesus says this, he says, I have revealed you, uh, speaking to the Father, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those you have given me for they are yours. And all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. He knows he's about to go and die, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. So, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me, and none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture will be fulfilled. He's speaking of Judas, who is about to betray him. He goes on, I'm coming to you now, Lord, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, he's coming to this climax, my prayer is not that You take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So, verse 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify or consecrate myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Those last couple verses 
that were right there on the screen are the ones that we want to focus on. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, Jesus says, as you sent me, the mission you gave me into the world, I'm giving that to those who believe. For them I sanctify myself so that they too may be sanctified. And we're going to spend, kind of camp out on this concept of sanctification today. He's praying for his disciples. It applies down the road to us. What does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctified is a word we use that comes from the Latin word sanctus, which just means holy. So what he's saying is make them holy. When you go, okay, that sounds great and religious. What is holy? Holy means set apart. And so what Jesus is asking for those who might believe in him is they would be set apart. Set them apart, Father, as you set me apart. I've set my life apart for them so that they might set their life apart for me. And it's this whole concept. He's trying to say, the, the whole purpose of my existence has been for this moment. And so set them apart, make them holy, sanctify them. It's interesting that this is not something that, that we preach much about. And maybe that's my flaw because we tend to say things up here that people are, are wanting to hear. Issues that we have in life or modern problems or how do we navigate this or how do we find some faith in that. And it, I know that this is not something people want to hear a lot about because if you look at the top sellers of Christian uh, books out there, you can find lists of Christian living uh, top 100 and you start looking and the word sanctification is nowhere to be found. There's all sorts of interesting words. You start looking at the subtitles. The titles always change depending on what's like cool to say, but, but the subtitles always say what it's really about. And so it's, you know, like, you know, the world is ending 10 steps to being a better believer or whatever. And so it's always in the subtitle that it tells you what it's really about. And so I started looking this week through all the subtitles of these books, the top Christian books right now, how to find more control in your life how to live with greater purpose, how to practice financial fitness, how to live more simply, how to live more soulfully, where to find meaning. None say sanctification. There wasn't the book that goes, live set apart, how to be holier and more sanctified. You know why? Because no one's buying that book. It might exist, but no one's buying it. There were devotionals in this top 50 that were about uh, money, a 30-day devotional on money, there was a, a, a Christian living devotional about giving up sugar. And I was like, sugar, 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 sugar. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with giving up sugar. So if that's you and you're like, I gave up sugar, what are you trying to say? Give up sugar, fine. I'm just saying, we would like to hear about a whole lot of things before we want to hear about sanctification. Being more holy, being set apart. There was one book in there that caught my attention. We're actually going to use it a little bit later. It's a 25-year-old book that is still in the top 10 called The Five Love Languages. How many of you have heard of The Five Love Languages or read the... Yeah, really, really, there's a reason 25 years in the top 10. It's a book on relationships and what are the five love languages. We're going to actually use it as a framework for today. My point is none of the books there were about being more sanctified, being more holy, growing, more set apart. And so the question really is, why should we care? Why is it so important? As a pastor, I get to spend a lot of time with people that are in their final days or even uh, hours and minutes. It's a privilege and it's a profound space to be invited into to somebody's um, kind of ongoing heartbreak. It's hospitals or hospice, it's in homes, and, and I get invited into a really a sensitive and intimate place. And what's really interesting is near the end, I get to kind of be a fly on the wall in a lot of situations. And near the end, people don't talk much about the weather sports or their favorite shows or the stock prices. Near the end, you talk about the most critical stuff. Near the end, it's hushed tones and, and important sayings and last words. And 
You ever see that movie where the plane is, is going down, there's turbulence, and then they're in a tailspin, and the plane's going down, and the people are screaming. They all reach for their phones to see if they can get off one last message to their loved ones, and they're texting them about how unseasonably warm the winter has been. Not a real movie. <laughs> doesn't exist. Because when you have a moment to say the last thing you get to say before you go to meet your end, you don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about the score. You don't talk about the economy. You don't talk about politics. You talk about the thing that you want to tell them I love them. Tell them I've always loved them. It's, it's what's the most critical thing you could say. This is the end for Jesus. He's praying this prayer, and when he says amen, he's it, taking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and once he gets there, Judas betrays him. He's arrested, tortured, crucified, dies. This is the end. He knows this. And what does he pray for? Their holiness. Father, make them holy. Unify them and make them, make them holy. He says, I've sanctified my life for this. Or another version will say, I consecrate my life for this. Meaning I've set aside my life for this very purpose. Make them holy. You could retranslate it. And Jesus' prayer says, my whole life has been about this. My death is about this. Everything I've done is about this. I put myself completely on the line for this. Father, my prayer is that they might be holy. It's the essence and the meaning of the life of Jesus. You know how you, you, you love someone? Do you know how you really know you love someone? Is when you begin to take on their interests that weren't your interests. When you allow their loves to become your loves. Marriage does this kind of organically. You don't really have much of a choice. You marry somebody, you end up in their loves because you live with them and it's sort of a requirement. When I met my wife, I had never seen a single musical. Unless basketball highlights set to one shining moment at the end of March is a musical, and I don't think it counts. I'd never seen a musical. She was a choir director when we were first married at a big, prestigious high school, and they put on full scale, all the bells and whistles, incredible staging, choreography, the music, all of it, musicals. Guys and dolls, I'm like, I don't think I'm allowed to go see that. You're coming, and you're going to enjoy it. I'm like, okay, here we go. I go and I see these musicals, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's enthralling. It's incredible. I hope no one can see me. Like, this is great. It was amazing. I'd never seen a musical. I marry her, and I have now seen 525,600 musicals. My love for her has found me adopting important things to her. Because when you love someone, you begin to grow in their loves. We grow together. I'm becoming more like her in that way. She grew up in West Texas. Let me tell you the priorities of someone who grows up in West Texas. They are thus football, 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 God, family, football. Spring football, but I mean, it's still. That's the priority. That's what you do in West Texas. It's Friday night lights, but real life. I grew up a city kid. And my priorities were basketball, basketball, basketball. What's football? Oh, it's this thing that happens during basketball season. I like basketball. And now, she started to adopt my loves. And so, if you gave her tickets to the Super Bowl but said she would have to miss an open practice for the BGSU men, 
in basketball, she would give you the Super Bowl tickets back and rather go to the practice because she's learned to love basketball. So much so that I'm going to tell on her here. The other day I was in the Starbucks drive-thru. She's gotten pretty intense in her love for basketball. The Starbucks drive-thru, if you've ever been through the BG Starbucks drive-thru, you look to your right through the tree line and you see like the Hampton Inn, which is where the visiting team will stay when they come to play our men in basketball. And the, the opposition is getting out of their, their bus. They're arriving. It's like 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. And I've been trying to explain to her um, why road games are so much harder for teams, why they play poor. You know, when you're 19 and you make a five-hour bus ride and then you check into the hotel and then you go to the shoot-around and then you have to play, it's a little different than being in your own bed and doing your own rhythm. And so I text her. I said, hey, the other team is just now arriving at the hotel. And I'm thinking in my mind, see, this is why it's harder to play on the road. Her response to me was to instruct me to go and do bodily harm to the other team. It's true. She says she was kidding. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. That was her first instinct. She like game face, 1 p.m., let's go. Get your Starbucks drink, throw it at somebody, burn them, get them out of the lineup, let's go. She's learning to love my loves is the point of my story. <laughs> Growing in relationship is about understanding and adopting the most critical things to the, to the other. Jesus says the most important thing to me is their holiness. And so to love Jesus is to grow in that, to learn that we are to then love holiness and to chase holiness and want to grow in holiness. Jesus spent three years with his disciples and his main concern as he prepares to leave them is that they might stay set apart and holy. In verse 18, we'll put it back on the screen. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What this is saying, the, the, the Greek here would say, you've given me a mission, and so I'm giving them the same mission. And I would say the mission of Jesus was to reconcile people to God through loving sacrifice. And so what Jesus is saying is, you gave me this mission, and now I'm giving it to them. Now they need to go and reconcile people to God through loving sacrifice. I'm sending them in the same way. If I were to give you a mission and then follow it up with a series of things I'm praying for as a result of your new mission, those things might be important to pay attention to because they would be the things I hope you do to accomplish the mission. So verse 18 says, I'm sending them into the world the same way you sent me. Verse 19 says then, I'm praying for their holiness. I'm sending them into the world, and I'm sending them with what? A great series of Bible studies, a good book on apologetics. Jesus doesn't pray for a new online engagement strategy or social media influence. Jesus doesn't pray for new books on how to do more about church. Jesus doesn't pray for new programs to make people happy. Jesus doesn't pray for any of that stuff. Jesus prays for holiness. He says, I'm giving my people a mission, and the thing they need is holiness. And all of the other things that we add to it, that's what we call religion. All of the other stuff is religion. All of the check boxes, it's religion. What he wants for us more than anything is that we might know him. We might know him and then grow in our knowledge of him. And as we know him, then it is natural for us to begin making him known. Because my wife, who now knows me and knows me more every day and grows in my loves, guess who the biggest evangelist for the BG men's basketball team is? It's my wife. She will tell anybody how they need to be there. It's the greatest thing. You've got to go. You've got to take your kids. She loves it. She can't help. And as she grows in her knowledge of it, she grows in her love of it, she becomes the evangelist for it. And we're going to talk in the weeks to come, how do we develop this heart for others? How do we develop a heart for my neighbor, for my coworker, for my friend? And the, the thing we can come back to, you can just tomorrow or next Sunday when I start talking about it, you just go, it's just holiness. And I'd be like, we're done. 
Because if you chase what Jesus chases, if you chase what Jesus loves, it becomes your love. The only thing he asks for for his followers is they be unified in their holiness. It's the key ingredient to accomplishing your mission. It really is the desire of your neighbors and your friends and your spouse and your children and your family. What they desire in you is holiness, whether they know it or not. What they desire is your moral beauty, whether they know to call it that or not. Your integrity and your humility and your joy and your self-control and your loving sacrifice on their behalf. It blows people away when your holiness invades their space. Not with an agenda, but with a heart like Christ. So you and I would say, well, I desire that, but again, it sort of sounds like a religious word, holiness, sanctification. How do I get that? How do I grow in that? It's, it's a good thing to want it, but it's a different thing to know how to do it. Which is why I said we're going to come back to the five love languages Dr. Gary Chapman was a pastor and a counselor and a bunch of master's degrees and a PhD, and he's got all the credibility you would want. And he writes this book 25 years ago about the five love languages, and he writes it for married people to help give them a better language to speak to each other in the way that the other will hear. And since then, it took off that they've written it for the office place. So if you're a boss and you want to learn how to love your employees better, you can read it in that Like you can read it for your teenager who hears things a little differently than an adult might. And so how do you love your teenager? Well, and there's all these different offshoots of it, but we're going to use it because it's a a framework for us. And I want it for you because it's so pervasive in our culture that everybody knows five love languages on some level or another, that if you forget them, you don't have to go, I wonder what he preached that day. You just Google five love languages and the five will come right back up and you can always come back to them. I'm going to put them on the screen and we're just going to leave them up for the rest of the time. These languages are... Words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, the giving of gifts, and physical non-sexual touch. These are the five love languages. And they're not in the Bible listed. You're not going to find the verse where these get listed out, but they are biblical. And as you read through the life of Jesus, you see his life is just dripping with these things. So like I said, it's applicable for all relationships. It was designed for marriage, and I would challenge you today that you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in a marriage whether you know it or not. That Jesus said he is the bridegroom in the church, you are his bride. That we are in a, a, a relationship, a marriage with Jesus, and he considers us that, both collectively but also individually. And so the life of Jesus is God's proposal to humanity. And your life is a response to that proposal. Your life is lived in response to God, and I'd like to make the argument that he's done his part. And then it's up to us to respond to it, that that your prayer is simply answering speech to the one who first spoke you into existence, that your breathing is answering breath to the one who put air and spirit into your bones, that your days are answering days to the one who created your days from the outset, and your loves are answering loves to the one who chose to love you first. The life of Jesus is God's proposal to humanity, and your life is lived in in a response. You go to a wedding, and you see towards the end of the wedding, when everybody's finally glad it's almost over, and they start exchanging rings and vows. What you see at every wedding I've ever done, every wedding I've ever been to, is they start with the husband, with the groom, and they say, do you take this woman? And he goes through that, and then they do the rings, and he puts the ring on her finger, and he makes vows to her. 
And I would argue that if you've seen that picture, you have that picture in your mind, that's the picture of what Jesus has done for us, that he is the groom and he has put the ring on our finger and he says, I'm offering you my life. I am making vows that all I am is now yours and I exist to serve you. And then our response as the bride is to take that and we then have our ring in our hand and we can choose to put it on him and say, I'm offering you all that I am. I'm offering you my life to serve you. I'm offering to give you everything I am. Or we can choose to withhold. But that's the picture that's being set up here is that the life that that Jesus lived is God's proposal to humanity. He's done it all. The offer is on the table. And our life is the response to that. He's asking, will you be my beloved? And look, there's a counterproposal from the culture. That there's wealth and fame and status, that there's all sorts of other things to chase. And none of those things in and of themselves are necessarily even bad things. But when they elevate above God, they become God things, and they, they just start strong enough to hold that sort of weight. Listen to Jesus' proposal through our framework of the love languages his proposal in his life, the words of affirmation. Jesus calls you his friend. He says that you are God's child, that you are a work of art, that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world, that you are chosen and beloved. And I would argue that there has never been a greater love letter written than the life of Jesus on your behalf. Acts of service. Jesus served and sacrificed. He held the dying. He raised the dead. He heard the cries of real people and he healed them. And he literally gave his life in the service of others. Quality time. Jesus invited people in, sharing meals and joy in his deepest sorrows. He spent decades among humanity. He has spent years listening and teaching and healing and loving, giving gifts. What greater gifts can one give than his life, enduring unfathomable physical pain and unimaginable spiritual isolation on our behalf? He gave his life for us. And then physical touch, that proximity Jesus always had people close. Proximity was his greatest ministry. He invited a deep intimacy and his touch was healing. He gave sight to the blind, healing for lepers and the paralyzed. Even those who touched the fringe of his garment were healed, the stories go. That just his presence and his physical proximity was power. There's never been a proposal like the life of Jesus. You have heard of amazing proposals of a hot air balloon and diamonds falling from the sky and people deep sea diving. They don't hold a candle to this. That the life of Jesus is the greatest proposal ever made. He comes down low and he offers us his life. There's no gold ring. He grabs a rugged cross instead. There is no precious stone. The stone was instead rolled away so that you and I would see that his life was lived for us and he was resurrected on our behalf. Jesus prays in his final hours and he says, everything that I am, I give everything I am. My whole life was for this. All of my holiness, Lord, all of my holiness is that they might find themselves sanctified and holy as well. All of the culmination of every story and every parable and every moment and every healing and every miracle comes to a place where Jesus says, what I want more than anything is that they would stay holy. That's his proposal to you. And the question becomes, will you meet him in that place? Will you say yes to his life with the offer of your life? Because the moment you say yes, it's the wedding day. It's the celebration. Scripture says the angels rejoice in heaven when one turns to faith. That's a great day. We celebrate. We party. Some people dance even though they shouldn't. It's a whole thing. And then there's a honeymoon period where everything's great. It's all going to be fantastic. And this is easy. I don't know why people said marriage is going to be hard. This is awesome. And then you get off the beach. Marriage starts. 
and you have those first quiet, sometimes awkward days of learning what relationship really looks like, of sacrifice and of dying to yourself, of giving to the other, of growing together. It's the same with Jesus. Once you know Jesus, the wedding day, the celebration, the baptism, then there's the time to grow in him, to love him more, to learn him more, to understand him more, to become more like him. So when we say, what does it mean to grow as a Christian? It means you become more rich and beautiful through your love for Christ. It means that you learn to love the loves of Jesus. You learn to live out mercy and justice and grace. It means that we respond to his life with our life, that we respond to his proposal with our, not only our yes, but our offer of our own lives. And so apply that to our framework again. What does it mean to grow in Jesus? It's to apply that to your framework and go, well, he's done these things for me and my response is to offer the same for him. And so maybe there's one of these that you look at and you go, you know what, I I could do better in that area. Yeah, if if I was really in a relationship with the creator of the universe, as mind-blowing as that is, that if, if Jesus really came to save me and wants a personal relationship with me, then one of these things is where I could start to grow. Words of affirmation, listen to your prayers. How many, how many of your prayers are praise? Gratitude for his goodness and his grace. How many of your prayers are offering admiration to God for who God is instead of asking of God for what God can give you? Acts of service, do you use your life to sacrificially serve him? Really, do you approach or do you avoid opportunities to serve and sacrifice and bless? Do you approach or do you avoid? Quality time. We say around here a lot, there's 168 hours in the week. You spend one here and 167 out there. And it's the 167 we actually care about. So the question becomes, how many of those 167 hours are you listening to the creator? Are you praying to your creator? Are you spending time in his word? Are you, how many of those hours, 167 that you got free? it's zero, could it be one? If it's one, could it be two? Giving gifts, everyone gives their life away to something. This is a universal truth. Everyone gives their life to something. The question is, where will you give yours? Given life by Jesus, where do you give your life? Where do you give your talents and your resources and your finances and your relationship and your relational capital? Where do you give your spirituality and your hope and your faith and your joy? Where do you give those gifts? And where could they maybe be given back to the blessing of God. And then finally, touch. How do you hold Christ close? How do you practice, practice daily proximity in the quiet places? How do you invite Jesus into every aspect of your life? Because if I know one thing, it's that a lot of us have Jesus in some areas and not others. You can have my marriage, but not my finances. Or you can have my finances, but stay away from my marriage. Where can you invite the proximity of Christ into every area of your life and invite others from the church, capital C, not this place, the church of believers. Where can you invite other believers to do life with you and sharpen you and challenge you and draw you closer? The life of Jesus was a proposal from God. And culture will offer a counterproposal to your everyday existence. You can always chase something else. But our challenge is to say yes to the proposal unlike any other, and then to say yes on an ongoing basis to spending our days growing in love and in words and in sacrifice and in time and in gifts, to to growing our love by growing our relationship as we chase the holiness that Jesus prayed for. This is a 
never intended to be a message that brings guilt, and yet I know there are people in the room that if we walked out right now would walk out in guilt. You would say, gosh, I don't do that very well, and I'm falling short in that, and I just can't keep up there, and I'm just not, oh. This is a message about grace. That guilt is not the intention, that grace is the intention, that the guilt is simply there to convict us that there's more hope to be found. The darkness only exists to show us that there's light that's even greater. And so as you look at this list, as you look at these categories and you go, where could I be better? The the challenge is not to walk out in guilt of what you're not doing great at. The challenge is to walk out in grace knowing this is why Jesus gave his life so that you could spend yours growing into who he's made you to be. Not that you would be perfect on day one, but you would be better on day two than you were today. And so my prayer for us all is that grace would be abundant, that grace would be pervasive, and that you and I would want nothing more than to chase holiness and to grow every single day into becoming more and more like the Jesus who saved us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are desperate for your grace, that we need it daily, and your saving grace becomes your daily grace, and your daily grace propels us to grow through our struggles. Father, I pray for each and every heart in here that that we would all have a clarity, a whisper from you as to what the area of our life is that we might find new growth in you, that we might get closer to you, that we would understand you better, love what you love. Father, it is humbling to consider that the proposal has been on the table for us. And so many of us have said yes and then waited on the altar for things to change. And Lord, I pray that you would get us out and you would grow us up. Lord, for those who have yet to offer life back to Christ, those who have yet to say yes to the proposal, I pray that today would be that day, that the celebration would be real. Lord, that you would give us a clarity that you are who you say you are, that you did what you said you did, and that you love us in the unimaginable way that you say you love us. So Father, we offer you our day, we offer you our worship, we offer you our lives. Be with us, be in us, We already know that you are for us, and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.